know, we're talking about an important topic, we're talking about finishing, and we're in, of course, 2 Timothy chapter 1, kicking off a new series today. How many of you know, maybe some of you I'm speaking to, uh, you're a good starter, but you haven't been a good finisher in life. You don't have to raise your hand, but amen for doing that. I heard you got rocked, by the way, too. What? Marriage class report, right? All right. Um, but a lot of us, we, we've started things, we don't finish things, and life's been a series of start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. How many of you know, as believers, we're really called to run a race and to finish? Everybody say finish. Finishing is really, really important. And I don't know about you, but do we have any long-distance runners in here, like marathon guys, besides Greg? All right, a few marathon guys. I played sports that had a, uh, an efficiency of running, okay? Like I was a pitcher in baseball. Have you ever seen a pitcher run? No, they don't run. They throw the ball, and then they get the last guy out, and then they just walk in like they own the world into the dugout. And, uh, and then in baseball, too, you, don't, you only run if you hit the ball. If you don't hit the ball, you just walk back into the dugout. But if you hit the ball, then you run. But you're running for a reason, right? Or I played football. If you have the ball in your hands, people are trying to kill you. So there's a reason to run. You run because they're, they're going to kill you if you don't move. So I always ran on, on purpose. But I always would imagine if I ever had to be in a race... One of the first things that I would do, you know, I'd be stretching out. I got my cool workout outfit on. I got my little, my little drink in hand, uh, my, my libations that keep me going, all right, keep me fueled. And I would be checking out who else is running. And I'd be figuring out, how am I going to do in this race? I'd look over. There's an old guy over here. I could probably beat that old guy. Then there's somebody on a stretcher over here. I think I got that guy covered. All right. And... uh and, you know, you're checking things out. And you guys know what I'm talking about. And you're, you're kind of stretching the whole time. But, you know, you don't want to, you know, be embarrassed. And say, so pretend like you start running. And while you're running, and I've heard this happen before to my brother-in-law Brent, you know, true confession here. But he'd be running and he's like, no way, that 60-year-old lady just passed me. What's this all about? <laughs> and um, anyway, since I don't have stories, I'll tell his stories. But anyway, um, no, he's a great athlete. But anyway. The point being, imagine if you got to the end and you saw this old guy that you said, I know I can beat that guy. And, and, he, and how many of you know there's some people that are old and some people that look, that are actually look older than they are? They're old and they look older. That would have been this guy, all right? He had, he had scars on his body. You can tell he's lived a rough life. Well, he just zips past you. And you're running like, no way. I can't let this guy beat me. Well, sure enough, he beats you bad and he's waiting for you at the finish line. In fact, he's not just waiting at the finish line. He starts jogging back to you because he knows you're wheezing and you're thinking about quitting. And he says to you, come on. He's cheering you along the way. He says, come on, you can finish, you can finish. That story is Second Timothy chapter 1, okay? The old guy that's very weathered is the Apostle Paul. He's lived a long and full life. And this is the, this is the end of the journey for Paul. And he's writing in a very fatherly way to about a 30-year-old guy named Timothy, who's his son in the faith. And he's going to give him some advice about finishing well. How many of you know if that guy just blew past you and you're a runner and you want to be a serious runner, you would take notes. And if that guy was saying, hey, I'm going to offer a seminar on training on how to be a great long-distance runner, you would show off. Amen? Because you're going to want to glean from this guy. Well, guess what? The Apostle Paul is writing a letter and he's doing just that. He's giving some on-the-job training to a young protege whom he wants to finish well. And so I want to just underscore, first of all, how important it is for finishing well and finishing well in difficult times. When you look at this book, if, if we just think that Paul's just writing and he had nothing better to do, he's just going to write a nice little letter to Timothy, um, you're going to miss out on some of the, the true meaning and meat of this chapter and of this book. Because 
Paul's writing in a unique time in history, just like we're living in a unique time in history. Amen? And you have to understand the context. If you want to understand the things that we struggle with today, you would need to know what's going on in our culture to understand some of the letters and some of the correspondence written today. Well, guess what? If you want to understand what's happening in this letter, you better know what's going on in the time. And, of course, in Rome at the time, we have one of the most vile leaders ever to set foot on planet Earth. His name was Nero. You probably all heard about Nero. Set the city on fire, put the blame on the, on, uh, the Jews. Um, he did some wonderful things, wonderfully despicable things to Christians. He would sew, up, sew them up inside of the carcasses of dead animals and let wild dogs come and rip the animals and the people inside apart for fun. That was sport for him. Or he would throw big parties, and, and in his parties he would use Christians who were wrapped in wax and lit on fire. He would use human beings lit on fire and tortured uh, as his candles for his celebrations. And Paul finds himself at the end of his life. He's in a, a damp, disgusting, dark Roman cell. And in a very short amount of time, as history tells us, Paul's going to have his head cut off by Nero. This is also the time when the apostle Peter was crucified upside down because Peter said he was not willing to die in the same manner in which his Lord was. Uh, he was also crucified, as history tells us, in front of his wife to torment her and the entire time pleaded with her that this was nothing compared to the joy and the glory that awaited both of them and to remain faithful to the end. How many of you know, those are two finishers. I want to be a finisher. We're all going to, if you would fast forward, no matter what age you are in this room, if you would fast forward your life, we're all going to have a similar ending. We're going to come to a finish line. And, you know, some of us have had rough starts. We heard of some testimonies of some rough starts. But I just want to tell you something. It's not how you start in the kingdom of God that matters. It's how you finish in the kingdom of God that matters. There is a finish line, and Jesus Christ himself, who finished well, did he not, is waiting on the other side of that finish line. And the words that you want to hear out of his mouth are the words we all share in common. We all want to hear this report. Well done. Can you say that? Amen to that. Well done. Spoken over your life. Not you tried or I'm sorry or, or whatever. Well done is the, is what you want. Now listen, every single one of us is in the race, whether you've recognized it or not. And every single one of us has the same finish line, whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. Christ is waiting at the finish line. There's a crowd of witnesses, the book of Hebrews says, that's cheering us on. This is for real, whether we've gotten in the race or not. This is a wake-up call to everybody in this room. You're in a race. There is a finish line. And how you finish will be in large part how focused you are on where this race is headed and what's waiting for you at the end of the finish line. This is really important. In fact, I can't think of anything more important. In fact, how many of you know when somebody is on the precipice of death, if you were getting ready to get your head lopped off by some ISIS terrorist or whatever, and you wanted to write a letter... To whom would you write the letter, and what would you say? I'll tell you what, the person you'd send it to would not be somebody you don't know or don't care about. It would be somebody you love very much, and what you have to say would be a, a distillation of, of the most important things you could generate in your mind and heart at that time. Am I speaking the truth? You would not be filling that letter with frivolous things that don't matter. You would be filling that letter with things that are absolutely important and that you're passing on to somebody whom you love very, very much. 
And so this morning, I want to talk about finishing well. And I just need to make this side comment. You know, there's a man by the name of Howard Hendricks. Some of you have heard of him. He's a prolific author. He was a seminary professor. He studied all the major biographical figures in the Bible. And he said there's about 100 major biographical figures of which we know something about their lives. Out of 100 of these people he studied, two-thirds of them finished poorly. That means they fell into immorality, they quit, they turned their back on Christ, uh, the world sucked them in. Whatever the situation is, two-thirds of the people in the Bible that we know about didn't finish well. How I many of you know that's a testimony of the Bible's authenticity? Because if you or I wrote it, none of the failures would be included, only the success stories. But listen to me. There's only one success story. His name's Jesus. The rest of us, he's pulling along. And he's going to bring us across the finish line. But here's the point. We're living in a culture today in America where there are so many people who have given up on Christ. Think in your own life, friends, relationships that you had, people that maybe you led to the Lord who aren't even attending church right now and their hearts are far from God. Or what about the train wrecks that we see every day in America of pastors who are preaching to thousands of people who are falling left and right because of sexual sin and immorality or whatever else that's going on in their lives. How I many you know this is an epidemic? It's an epidemic of failure. It's an epidemic of brokenness. And again, it's not the fact that we have failure and brokenness is not the problem. The problem is when men and women who started so well finish so poorly. Don't. How many of you in this room want to be a good finisher? Amen? Then we should have our ears perked right now because I want to give you some principles that Paul gives to Timothy about how to finish well. And the first one is something that we major on around here a lot. Major on it. And that's the, the importance, number one, of having spiritual fathers in our lives. If I had you raise your hands and said, how many of you grew up in a Christian home where your mom and dad loved the Lord and brought you to church and set a great example? I mean, we already heard the, an example from our brother this morning about a father's way of, of raising his son by doing drugs together. We're hearing that more and more in our culture. You can't separate who's the parent from who's the kid, and there's no sense of a clear moral compass today. If I asked you how many of you came out of a home with a strong Christian parents, probably very few of you would raise your hands in this room. If I asked you how many of you had a strong dad in your life who loved Jesus Christ and set the example, again, very few of you would raise your hands. Well, guess what? Timothy wasn't one of those young men with a strong father in his life, uh, but he had the apostle Paul in his life. How I many you know that's pretty good? He also had a godly grandmother in his life. He also had a godly mother in his life. Praise God for spiritual parents in our lives who come around us and encourage us. Now look at what it says here in the first couple of verses in 2 Timothy chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I have been sent out to tell others about the life that he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. And look at verse 2. This gives us an indication of what we need to finish well. Paul calls Timothy in verse 2, my dear son or my beloved son. And he goes on to say, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and mercy and peace. And then look what he says in verse 3. Timothy, I thank God for you. He calls him by name. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God that I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. And he says this, night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. How many of you know every one of you in this room needs somebody who knows your name and who loves you 
and who's thinking about you and who's praying for you and who'll tell you that. I learned a long time ago that people will not remember hardly any of anything that I preach over my years, but they will remember times we spent together. I remember as a youth pastor, I'd be amazed. I'd say, Amen. what was the best part of this year? Remember those days, Bill and Fran, all the youth ministry days. What was, what was the best part of 2015? Here, how about that one message I preached? That was so good. No, don't even remember it. Remember, pastor, that road trip when we stopped at that place and we ate that food? And remember when so-and-so said so-and-so and we laughed so hard? And over years, I realized what they're remembering is not what I said. It's how I loved them. It's the time that I spent with them. And it's not that it's not that our doctrine is not important because Paul says later to Timothy, guard your doctrine, preach good doctrine. Doctrine is important. But at the end of the day, doctrine is so much better received when it's from somebody that we know is crazy about us and loves us. So can I challenge you this morning? Can all of you look in your life and find people that you will choose to set your affections upon and to take them under your wing and encourage them and love them and think about them and pray for them? I also got to tell you, I used to feel bad when I'd read Paul's teaching about how he prayed for Timothy night and day. And I'd think, man, praying night and day, my prayer life is pathetic. But then it dawned on me, where's Paul writing from? He's writing from a place that's miserable. And he's not curled up in his comfy bed with a fan on for background noise and a warm, you know, comforter. Paul's not doing much sleeping because Paul's in a place where his body is physically miserable. So you know what he's doing? His mind is going to a young man that he has great affection for and someone that's a spiritual son. And Paul says, every time I'm awake, I'm praying about you. I'm thinking about you. What an awesome father. We need spiritual fathers to give us reassurance. I can't tell you how many times my father or some of the men in this church, when I've faced challenges, men have come up to me and said, it's going to be okay. We got you covered. It's going to be all right. In other words, they're already on the finish line. And they're looking back, and how many know people with experience in Christ are so helpful to those of us who are younger in the Lord because they provide something that we need called perspective. The best thing you can do when a person's going through a tough time is just give them a big hug, tell them you love them, tell them that you're praying for them, and tell them this, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. That's what Paul was doing to Timothy right here. Second thing fathers do, and this is important, fathers remember Look what it says in verses 4 and 5. Paul says, I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. And then he goes on, he says, I remember your genuine faith. That word speaks of no hypocrisy, authentic faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Paul's remembering back to those poignant moments. And how many of you think in your own life, the things you remember the most usually have some strong emotional component attached to it. Either it's a tough time when somebody lost somebody, a painful moment, or it's a, it's a mountaintop moment where it was just the best time of your life. But, but most of the things we remember are, are memories that are attached to deep, powerful, profound emotions. And Paul's remembering one of those. Because he's probably remembering the time when he laid his hands on his spiritual son and he was getting ready to leave him. And, and here's this fatherless boy growing up who's got a daddy named the Apostle Paul, spiritual daddy, who believes in him and is praying for him and imparting a spiritual gift over his life. And let me just tell you this, every single person in this room, especially our young people, 
The one question you ask when you're young and, so, and responsibility is being thrust upon you or you're looking out at this world, the question you're asking is this question, do I have what it takes to, to, to succeed? Am I right? Do I have what it takes to make it? And I think this is even more profound in young men because we think in terms of career and provision. Do I have what it takes to be successful? And Paul's laying his hands on his spiritual son and he's imparting that anointing, just like we did today, and praying and releasing things. And Timothy's crying because a couple of things. Number one, he knows the responsibility of the shoes he has to follow. How many of you have had any big shoes in front of you to fill? In fact, my son Ronnie tells a story. Ronnie had to go to Colorado to find himself and to discover his calling because he had two other Ronald Dean Johnsons ahead of him whose shoes in his own mind he thought he had to fill. Even though we repeatedly told him, you're not filling any of our shoes, just be who God called you to be. But guess what? He had to go to a faraway place where people didn't know him from Adam to discover that he had a call on his life and that he had what it takes. Every one of you in this room are looking for that, and part of what should happen in a church is we should be constantly speaking the word of the Lord over each other's lives and believing in one another and saying, you know what, you have, you have what it takes with Jesus. We believe in you. He believes in you. But how many know there were tears at that separation? Tears because he loved Paul, and he didn't know if he was going to see him ever again, this side of eternity. And then I want you to see what else fathers do. Fathers reassure, fathers remember, and fathers also have some requests. Any of you dads, when you leave for work in the morning, you have a, hey, son, don't forget to do such and such. Hey, when I get home, I want to make sure you take care of this. In other words, there's some requests. Paul's looking at Timothy here in, in jail, looking at Nero's persecution, looking at, at this young son in the faith. And he's got some things he's going to encourage him very quickly here. And I'm going to go through this quickly because I know time is of the essence. But look at verses 6 through 8. Paul says, this is why I want to remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the spiritual gifts that God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. In verse 8, so don't be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength that God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. First thing he tells them, stir up the gift that's within you. How many of you know every single man or woman in this room has been gifted by God with some amazing talent and gifts that are supernatural and they're from God? And if you know what God has called you to do, the word of the Lord is fanning into flame. Because guess what happened? It's the natural tendency of something burning to begin to die. It's the natural tendency of things that are on fire to begin to come to a place of no fire and no heat. So Paul says to him, fan it into flame. There's been prophetic words spoken over my life that I'm starting to blow on again. All right? I'm starting to blow on them. Why am I blowing on them? Because I believe I have a responsibility to partner with God to finish the race well. If you want to finish the race, God's given you gifts. If you let the gifts go dormant and you don't use them and you don't exercise them, God's not to blame for your inability to finish. you got to take what's in your hand and do something with it. I've seen people say, God, you know, I had a prophecy 20 years ago that I'd be a great evangelist. I'm still waiting. 
What are you waiting for? You have a mouth. Go tell somebody about Jesus. What are you waiting for? I remember the morning when I was 16 years old, Lake Central High School, and I was asking God for more boldness to witness to my friends. And the Lord just said, if you need me, need boldness, ask me for it. So we prayed. I said, God, give me boldness. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, great, you got it. And I'm like, no, there's supposed to be a lightning bolt, an angelic visitation, a burning bush. No, he says, you asked me for it. Go exercise it. It takes faith to exercise it. Fan it into flame. It's already there. It's just not, it's just not a raging fire right now. Fan it into flame. And he says this, I have not given you a spirit of fear or of timidity. That word in the Greek means cowardice. Can I just tell you all, we are living in a day, in America anyway, where we are experiencing the beginnings of unprecedented Christian hostility. We are just, Pastor Kevin and I were just in Valpo. Valpo is looking to pass another religious uh, discriminatory bill towards people of faith in the marketplace. It's called Soji. We met with the mayor. We met with the city council member. We met with an attorney. And this is what we hear from elected officials who are Christians today. It's just so challenging and demanding to be an elected official today. Tell that to the Apostle Paul. Are you kidding me? Now, let me tell you, it takes courage to lead. It takes courage to lead at every time in history. It takes courage to stand for truth. It takes courage to open your mouth in the world today and to identify with Christ. This takes good old-fashioned guts. And Paul says to Timothy, while he's in prison, going to lose his head to his spiritual son. He didn't say this. Why don't you think of another job vocation? This one's not working out so good. Why don't you do something a little less controversial? What does this spiritual father say to his son? Don't be a coward. And you know what? When you're sitting in a jail cell, God only knows what's happening to you. And your spiritual dad says, don't be a coward. I'll tell you what happens in your heart. Courage arises in your heart. As you say, that's my dad right there. And if he can go through it, by golly, I can go through it. If he can live a righteous life, I can live a righteous life. That's why we need godly examples today. That's why the church should be full of godly men and women who are saying, look, I faced the same challenges you did to quit, to give up, to throw in the towel. But don't you dare do it. God has not given you a spirit of fear. God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Use it, son. Operate it. I can't tell you how many times, whether it was in sports or wherever it was, that my father was there to cheer me on and to tell me I could do it when I wasn't so sure that I could. His courage gave me courage. The times I followed him in a situation, I said, what are you going to say? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit. I was with him during those times. That's why I have courage today to stand at the state house or in a meeting like that and challenge officials to live for Christ and to have courage. That's what the prophetic voice is. That's what God's called us to walk in today in the church. We got people that are worried about You know, you hear things like, well, you're going to plant a church where? Isn't it dangerous there? Of course it's dangerous there. Have you figured out that the most unreached places in the world 
are dangerous places. Because nobody wants to go there. Because we don't have finishers. This church is raising up finishers. This church is going places where it's scary. Because Jesus would go there. I mean, you know, Jesus finished well. He forgave. He loved. But he ran the race to the end. And that's our leader. How many of you know the disciples started off poorly? They all scattered at Jesus' greatest time of need. Even Peter just kind of hung around within an eye shot of Jesus. I'm behind you, Jesus. Way behind you, but I'm behind you. You remember when Jesus caught eyes with Peter and the shame that came over him? Remember the naked streaker disciple who was running because they went to grab him and they stripped his cloak off of him. And he didn't even mention himself by name in his own gospel because he was ashamed. But I'll tell you what, every one of those guys finished well. They started off poorly, but they finished well by the grace of God. And the reason they finished well is they watched their leader finish well. If there's one thing I want to leave in my life and ministry to my wife and to my kids and to you is I want, I declare it publicly by the grace of God, God help me finish well. Help me walk in the shoes of people who have gone before me. Let me quickly bring this to a close. We need spiritual fathers, but thank God we have a heavenly father. But I just want to say this. Your success in finishing is not on your shoulders. You're partners with the purposes of God for your life. God saved you for a reason. And I want you to see here in verses 9 and 10, the activity of God right now in your life. Paul says, God saved us. God called us. God called us to live a holy life. Notice it says, I'm circling all these in my notes. He did this. He did this. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan. Man, I circle that. His plan. From the beginning of time to show us his grace. I circle that. That's all the stuff he's bringing to the, to the picture here. His grace through Jesus Christ. Andrew, can you give me a tissue? And now he has made all of this plain to us by appearing, by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He, thank you. He broke, it says, the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through Christ Jesus, or I'm sorry, through the good news. Here's the good news about this. If you're saved, the Bible says this, God called you by his mercy. God called you according to his purpose. God called you by virtues of his grace. Paul said, I didn't do any of this. I didn't earn any of this. It was God's mercy that worked in your life. I mean, you know, Tony, when you're looking at your card and your, your key, rather, and your key has exactly on it that how many different keys with how many different labels, but your key has the one word that you need to hear. Forgive it. How many of you know at that moment, it just gives you a glimpse into the awesome, sovereign power of God who can make sure one man gets the right key to speak in your life. God is awesome. 
And let me just tell you this. God's not a loser. God is a winner. And I'm going to tell you something else. God has called you to win with him. God has called you to finish the race. God's not called you to quit. God's not called you to give up. I love that picture of the Olympic runner. I showed it a while back here on video. The Olympic runner trains his whole life for this race. He's the favorite in the race. He's coming around the turn 200 meters or 400 meters, and he blows out his hamstring, and he collapses on the ground, and he's in agony, not only in physical agony, but he's in emotional and and mental agony because his whole life he's trained for this. And all of a sudden, you see out of the corner of the screen, Somebody's breaking through the security guards. Somebody jumped over the rail and he raises down there. Who is this? It's his father. Picks him up, puts his arm around his shoulders and he's telling his son, it's okay. Let's finish. You can finish. Let's cross the line. And he gets to the line. He pulls away so the son can drag that wounded leg across the line. How many of you know the Bible says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And some of you are on the ground. Some of you have wanted to quit. Some of you are sitting on the sidelines. Some of you are saying, I've had it with this. Some of you are in the midst of pain. Some of you are just coming out of pain. Some of you fell a million times and you had a horrible week this week. I got good news for you. Jesus is a finisher of your faith. He is there with you. He's there to walk with you. He's there to encourage you. He keeps saying, get up, get up. Because here's the deal. It doesn't matter how many times you fall, finish the stinking race. You're not a loser. You're not disqualified till you quit. Don't quit. When you see a Savior beat beyond recognition, gasping for air, looking like a piece of, of, of beat up human flesh that you can't even recognize his face, and he says, forgive him, Father, that tells you you can forgive and you can keep moving on. It tells you there's strength for you because there was strength for him. This is a commitment of the entire Godhead on our behalf. I don't have time to get into it, but Paul goes on and he closes and he says this. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, for I know whom I have committed. Sorry, for I know whom I'm persuaded. Help me out here. For I am persuaded. I'm going to read it because I'm all messed up. (laughs) Help me. For I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is faithful to keep that which I have committed to him until that great day. This is the secret. Give Jesus all your life, your stuff, your hopes, your dreams. My desire, I said, God, I want to finish. I'm giving you, Lord, that desire. Now he says he's faithful to bring it to completion. My confidence is in him and in his ability, not in my ability. Does this make sense? And Paul says, you know what, guys? Hey, people have deserted me. He mentions two of them by name. They left me. But then he mentions one brother by name. And he said, this guy searched me out in Rome trying to find me. I mean, you know, you don't search out somebody that Nero is getting ready to chop his head off. You're not looking for those people because you don't want to be anywhere near those people when the axe is swinging because it might cost you your head. But how many of you know true spiritual sons stick with you in the midst of the fire? Everybody's your friend. When you got money, how about the prodigal son? Living large, woo, Hollywood. And when he's eating with the pigs, there ain't no friends. 
Nobody's hanging out with them when he's hanging with the pigs. Let me just tell you this. You're going to have some mountaintops. You're going to be hanging with some pigs. And when you're hanging with the pigs, look around because you're going to see your spiritual sons. You're going to see people that truly care for you. You're going to find your true friends among the pigs. Now, your friends aren't pigs, but, but when you're with the pigs, they're going to be with you. Paul even said to Timothy, this is amazing to me. He said, hey, don't be ashamed of me because I'm in prison. You know, I just want to say this. Don't be ashamed of your pastors when all kinds of nasty things are said of us in the newspaper for standing up for religious liberty, for marriage, for the unborn. Don't be ashamed of your friends when they're standing out there in front of Planned Parenthood and calling out the folks and saying, hey, there's a better way. We want to pray with you. And they're having fingers waved at them. And they're having nasty things on Facebook. Don't be ashamed of people with courage. If you'll hang out with those people and not when they, oh, don't you go to that church, that Rolling Stones church. that Rolling Stones, uh, work, yeah, not, don't, and that guy, yeah, that homophobe, get, that hater, that big, that's your pastor? Uh, no, 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 we go down, uh, to that other church. I can't think of the name of the pastor now, but, uh, no, don't do that. In fact, most of you are here because you're not ashamed, because you're looking for a holy fight, and because you do want to stand for truth, and we thank you for standing with us. Come on. I'll just say this, we had a holy fight this week, and uh, and we sat before three professing Christians who are getting ready to, to steal liberties right over here in Valparaiso, and in no uncertain terms, we said, look, over our dead body and in our lifetimes, will you be robbing my children and my grandchildren from the freedom to take their faith in public in their business? And if you're going to push through with this ridiculous, unnecessary, wrong-headed legislation promoting wickedness you will see heaven descend on Valparaiso, Indiana. And, and, and you will be picking a fight of your life because this is serious to us. I mean, you know, at that moment, it's like we separate the men from the boys. Uh, but I'm just telling you, we're separating the men from the boys. We've got a man flying in this week from Pakistan. I mean, you know, the devil is an absolute wimp and he's a coward. Some of you saw in Pakistan, Muslim terrorists wrapping themselves in bombs. Usually they don't wrap themselves. Usually they drug women or children, and they blow up the the women and children because they're cowards. But in Pakistan, going out into a Christian celebration, uh, mostly with women and kids, and blowing themselves up and killing, I don't know how many hundreds of people. This pastor sent me the pictures uh, from the papers and from the scene. He lives about 30 minutes from there. He's back in the States. I'm supposed to leave on Thursday morning for Russia, and he's in the States wanting to meet because you know what he's looking for? Friends. So I'm trying to figure out how I can get to Youngstown, Ohio, and then I find out he can get to Kokomo. So now I'm going to try to figure out how to get to Kokomo. I know how to get there, but I know I'm figuring out how do I take five hours on a Wednesday when I'm leaving on Thursday. But this guy came from halfway around the world where they're blowing up kids. I just want to be a friend. How about you? I think it'd be great to go to Pakistan sometime and preach the gospel there uh, for, because there's got people there crying out for God in a nation that's getting blown to bits by craziness. And here's the thing. You know, the only people insane enough to do that 
People who love Jesus because he's so full of courage, he went ahead of us and showed us the way. That's the only people that want to do this kinds of stuff. So I'm just telling you, we're, we're not living under Nero, but we see Neros all around us in our culture, and God's looking for some courage, and he's looking for some people that will finish the race. How about let's try at our best, amen? How about when we see somebody on the ground, let's pick them up. How about if someone's discouraged, we say, come on, you can do it. How about if someone's really hurt, we put our arm around them, we lift them up, and we say, I'll walk with you for a while. That's what the body of Christ needs to do. But I'm just going to tell you something about the DNA here for all of our guests. We don't quit. We don't quit. We don't quit. We don't quit. We fight to the end. We're going to have it set over us. Well done. Amen? And if you thought about quitting today, knock it off. We're going to pray for you right now. You're not a quitter. There's help. Just say, I need help. I need help. I'm struggling. I need help. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. I need help. There will be people that will rally around you right in this place. Because that's the way we roll. Because that's the way Jesus rolled. Hop to your feet. I'm going to pray for you. If you're here today and you've been in a desperate situation, lift your hands. We want to pray for you. You felt like quitting or maybe you're in the process. You're sitting on, you've already quit. You feel like you're sitting on the sidelines. Raise your hands. We want to pray for you. Or if you need strength, you're saying, God, I want to finish well, and I feel like I've gotten off course. Raise your hands. We're going to pray for you. God Almighty, you see the hands raised in this place. And Lord, you know the challenges before us in our culture today. And God, we know we just are raising our hands and surrender, saying, help us, Lord. Help us. We pray that discouragement would go. Depression would go. Heaviness would go. Fear, go in Jesus' name. A confusion, go in Jesus' name. God, we pray for every attack that's against your church, that it would leave in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for power and for love and for a sound mind. God, we thank you that you called us into this, that you led the way, that Jesus set the example. Jesus blazed the trail. The apostle Paul showed us some things. He prayed over Timothy. Timothy finished well. Paul finished well. And Lord, by your grace, we're going to finish well. So help us in this place to be great lovers of you, Lord, that nothing that you would ever require of us would be too much, that you could never ask too much. Lord, that whatever you'd ask us to do, no matter how much it challenges us, that we would say, you know what? Jesus did it. Paul did it. I can do it by the grace of God. So, Lord, fill us with incredible supernatural faith to believe you and to trust you. And, God, that you could work through this humble group of people right here who have fallen so many times. But Lord, that our testimony could be every single one of us got over the line. Some of you are already there and you're running back and you're cheering on the younger ones. I see it. You do such a great job of it. Others of you are getting so close to to running that race and finishing well. And then we got a whole bunch of folks starting out. We got some wounded people. But I just see us all rallying around as one army and bringing everybody across. Nobody left behind. So Father, thank you for the church, and thank you for spiritual fathers, and thank you most of all, Heavenly Father, for being such a great dad. We love you, we honor you, we bless you, in Jesus' name. And Lord, bless us now as we eat enchiladas for the glory of God, and for the good of the nations. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.